Welcome to the Prepare to Win podcast. I'm your host, Justin Oliver, here with Dane Lee. Uh, today, we're going to talk about making changes <clears throat> in your lifestyle, your lifting, um, your environment, what you know, kind of whatever it takes to, to get a little better. I'm going to give specific examples. I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, we had four women compete over the weekend um, at a USPA meet in Columbus that was uh, an all-women's meet. And uh, I kind of noticed something afterwards that they, they all made some sort of change within their, whether it was their lifestyle, their environment, um, something that completely altered their lifts um, and some aesthetics and just the way they trained overall. Um, so I found it kind of interesting. So I wanted to kind of go over, you know, a little review of somewhat that they did, but then also like talk about the changes that they made to get better. Um, we've mentioned this a lot on the podcast. Um, and that was kind of something that we started talking about a lot in the beginning. Um, when we kind of introduced like the whole prepare to win thing, um, that a lot of these a lot of people like when you start to make those positive changes, that's when you yield the best results mm-hmm. and it might not always be comfortable at first, but usually isn't. Yeah. Yeah. But if you, if you're willing to go through that time of those changes, generally you're going to produce something better than what you had before. Um, especially if you do are doing it for the right reason. And, uh, if you have a good coach, that's, kind of pushing you in that direction mm-hmm. or, you know, just a good support group in general, pushing you in that direction. Usually it's going to yield a, a better result. So, um, I thought it was kind of interesting with, uh, like I'll start with summer's kind of an easier one. So I'll start there. Um, I've been working with her for over a year, year and a half ish, mm-hmm. um, maybe a little bit longer. And, she was one that like you could see early on, like, you know, she had some talent in lifting. She just needed a, a lot of technique changes. She needed to start to understand how the culture works, understand how things kind of operate. Um, and when I started coaching her, she was transitioning into going to college and everything. So, um, you know, going from living at home to going off to college where, you know, you got to kind of fend for yourself in a way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as, as most young people uh, are, when you go off to college, it's kind of like that huge shock of one, just like culture shock, but then two, um, a lifestyle change oh, where yeah. she's has to, you know, go get your own food, feed yourself, mm-hmm. go to class or, you know what I mean? Um, try to stay away from going out every night, you know, especially if you're on a, a bigger campus, mm-hmm. you know. So with her, you could see about a month after she left, like some things start to change in the lifts, you know, the weights that were manageable all of a sudden weren't. And I found it kind of interesting that, you know, we had tried to kind of get it together a bit, but when she moved back home, the lifts, you know, COVID happened, all that stuff, you know, online classes. So she goes back home and, um, we start to get some things together, noticing like the lifts are getting easier. So I asked her, I'm like, did you change your diet? Is sleep better? And, and those two things had gotten a lot better. And it was almost like an overnight thing. When I say overnight, it, it, we're talking over the course of a couple of weeks, a month mm-hmm. that the lifts started to kind of turn around and weights that were struggling a couple of weeks ago for maybe a couple reps, you know, turned into sets of five or six that were not very hard, Nice, you know? So right there shows, and that's, that's on a lifter that's still semi new, you know? So it's like on, on someone that's more experienced, of course, that food and that sleep and everything needs to be dialed in even more because mm-hmm. you will have a bigger sway. And then newer lifters, a lot of times they can get strong, just half assing it. You know, yeah, because there's so much potential there. Yeah, um, but with her, it was like once those changes started to happen, it, the sway was pretty significant. Yeah, you know, so I thought it was kind of interesting. You know, we got it together. We decided to do a meet. Um, this one was a little bit earlier than what I originally wanted to. Um, 
but she ended up walking away with a, a pretty solid PR. Um, can't remember the exact pounds right now. I think it was right around a 40 pound meat PR or something like that. She got called on her last deadlift that would have given her like a, about a close to 60 pound PR. Um, she got it, but just, you know, wasn't patient ended up hitching, um, mm. well ramping, but, um, you know, again, for that specific person, that's the diet, that's the sleep. Those are variables that everyone needs to understand. Like, that that's such a huge part of it. Like this girl who I think she had squatted two in the two sixties, two sixty four maybe, her last meet. Okay. And um she was struggling with two hundred and twenty pound, two hundred and fifteen pound squats, you know, and she went from repping those to like, you know, a set of two was hard. Yeah. You know, that's what sleep and poor dieting will do to you. And then she comes back and it's like now we're doing five by fives. You know, after we built back up the volume and stuff, we're doing five by fives at two fifteen, two twenty. You know, that's but, not miraculous programming. No, we we had to drop down. Of course, we had to drop down the weight and like build back from like the high hundreds and things like that. Yeah. And it it was wasted time, you know, to be honest. And that and that's why oh, I, yeah. I reiterated. I'm like, imagine if you took those three four months you lost and had dedicated food and sleep mm-hmm. with that training. You know, I think she found that out that once she started preparing for this meet, the numbers started jumping again and getting better and things. It's like, but imagine if that base was even better, mm-hmm. you know, that could have been a 80 pound PR. Hopefully that's a learning mm-hmm. lesson for her though. Yeah. It's like, Hey, you paid that price and you saw how much yeah. of a difference it makes well, to and, mess it up. And now I've, um, you know, talking to her, I, I think eventually here, she's going to get on nutrition coaching. I told her, even if you get on it for a few months and just learn some of the know, basics yeah. and then use that towards your your training on your own even then it's going to be better mm-hmm. than not trying it at all so um the uh the next one was um Jacqueline who's a newer lifter uh a newer lifter to the gym this one was was real interesting so um a couple months ago uh wasn't all that long ago I want to say it was in the winter sometime so uh maybe December January mm-hmm time she had reached out to get coaching and um she came in we had to start working with Lindsay. and it was kind of funny because she'd been training at a gym uh on north of here with her friend and you know i don't she i don't think she had a coach or anything she's just maybe doing some online program or okay. you know something i don't know but she wanted to get into powerlifting and she had never benched before she was squatting with like, like never ever never okay. i mean like she didn't bench mm-hmm. all right um i don't know if she was doing she probably did maybe some dumbbells or something i imagine okay but she didn't do bench all right she started squatting she's squatting like i remember like seeing videos of like 95 pounds and things you know in the 80s and her deadlift i don't think she ever deadlifted over 135 right okay and so Lindsay starts programming her and things are getting better. You know, like we're seeing these, she's showing me videos and I'm, we're watching these jumps. She's like, this girl's literally, she's making everything look easy. Like she's not struggling. She's like, I don't want to jump her weight tremendously because then you, you might lose that technique right. factor of it all. So you want to kind of, even though they're killing it, you want to still pace decent, right. you know, but she's like making some pretty good jumps on these weights. And I can remember her showing me videos and I remember she pulled, I think it was like 200 pounds. It was like her first pull over 200 or Mm -hmm. whatever. And she thought it was like kind of heavy and this thing, thing moved like me pulling 135, (laughs) right? Like it flew. And, um, she just had never experienced it before. She she had probably never felt like pressure like that before, like experienced like pulling some kind of weight like that. So it's kind of funny to watch because throughout the whole prep, she started uh, just destroying the weights. I mean, everything that was like put on paper, she was killing it, right? Mm -hmm. So, which is nice because then your lifter doesn't have a ton of fatigue. You know, they're very, they're gaining confidence. All these good things are happening. (sighs) But uh, what was interesting is like, then you get into the last 
you know, eight weeks of prep and things need to start jumping up to get heavy. And it's mm-hmm. like, she's just it, like destroying it all. And here's where it's crazy. Remember all those numbers I just gave you. Okay. Never benched, never did any of this. Right. She goes into the meet and she ends up squatting, uh, she squatted two Oh three. Now she, the, this wasn't hard. She beats the rat command on one, which is like a new lifter air. Okay. And then she got like, I think they made a jump when she did hit the two Oh three. Um, so I don't know what their last jump was to, but she got like nervous about the weight and like cut her depth high, Okay, you know, but it was still something manageable. It's just again, technique and this and that. So we watched this girl not even squat above like a hundred, you know, to squatting over 200 in a meet. Yeah. Okay. Knowing that she had more, she just yeah. had to kind yeah. of experience it as an yeah. athlete. Yeah. Never benched. Right. And she benches 143 at the meet. Which, if you know anything about like women's bench press, like to get to that like mid hundreds, unless you're just like, you know, you can just hit it, mm-hmm. like you're just kind of just built for already it. strong to begin with yeah. or built for it. Yeah, um, it usually takes like a little while. It takes some time to get that confidence, start to like, especially when girls get around that one thirty five range, hits the plate on and things yeah. like that. Um, but th- it wasn't hard either. Like it wasn't like a grindy bench that she hit. Mm-hmm. So then she. Um, the, the most interesting one was she ends up pulling 314 in the meet. So you go from not pulling above 135, thinking like just over 200 pounds felt heavy <laughs> to pulling over 300 in a meet. And um, it still moved very fast. And, you know, it was funny because she says like, again, she's like, oh, wow. that She's like, that was heavy. Like. So the one thing that we know about this lifter is like when she does actually have to grind something out, like mm-hmm. she's going to have to learn how to fight through weight. Yeah. Um, but again, like that change, not only the change to hire the coach, all right, but the change to switch gyms. And I think that did it just as much like the coaching obviously is like the program, right? But the training environment matters as well. You can have a great program and it can you know and give you some some good results, but you add in a good training environment to that too, and it's going to be that much better. You know, coming in, showing up to squat Sunday, you know, lifting in the morning around other power lifters. You know, I've seen her in here, and, you know, doing deadlifts with other power lifters and things like that. So just simply like immersing herself into the culture a little bit is something that she she could have just stayed at her other gym working out with whoever doesn't compete and mm-hmm. you know being scared of a 200 pound lift instead like she built that confidence she built um, a community around people you know what i mean and like i said immersed herself in that culture and that that's what you know brings it up that much more mm-hmm. so um and i we've seen this I mean, how many times have we seen this where people come in and they don't do, they probably don't do as well as they could because they don't, they don't immerse themselves in anything, you know? And then those are the ones that eventually leave the gym and just never get better. Kind of staying on the outside watching in. Yeah. I mean, think about the opportunity, even if not like, not the training at another gym and having another training partner is, you know, a bad thing necessarily. Mm -hmm. Cause I mean, we have a lot of people who like, they can't drive here to the gym, but they'll get programming. (laughs) Yeah. And they go to the gym that is available. Okay. That's good. But how many people that she trained with have been where she was and know what it feels like to have more than that 203 pounds or whatever the weight is where they're like, I've been there. Mm -hmm. I know what that feels like mentally, emotionally. You're scared right now. You don't know if you can do this. This is what it's going to feel like. Here's what helped me. Yeah. You know, here's what you're going to need to experience. And that's the thing. Like pretty much everyone that she was trained around is stronger than her, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, they, like you said, they've been there, they've experienced the, the, the stress she might be feeling, things exactly. like that. So your training partner outside here might be able to spot you, mm-hmm. but if they haven't been there before to see what it's like to get through that place where you are, yeah. having that experience is massively valuable. Yeah. Well, you know, I have lifters all over the place and like some of them, you know, in other States, it's like, they don't have a big, uh, powerlifting gym near them or anything mm-hmm. like that and like there might only be a couple of them that even lift really you know so it's like 
you know, those can, they can become hard because you feel more isolated, yeah. you know, to yourself. But that's why I try to have like anyone within like an hour of here, like come in at least for like squat Sunday or something, mm-hmm. you know, try to make it in when you can. Um, that makes it easier one for like, if I'm lifting two to see them, but then also just so they experience like what it's like to be around other lifters, yeah. you know? So, um, there's a lot of excitement and energy that comes with it when you watch somebody. It doesn't matter how much weight's on the bar. Mm-hmm. If they hit some kind of PR, whether it's a weight PR or rep PR, yeah. like it's incredibly exciting yeah. to see that. <clears throat> and it's very motivating to be around it. You know, there's the experience that you get from being around people, but like the amount of energy that comes on Squat Sunday, regardless of who is hitting what, like it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. One of the uh the other girls was Sarah. Sarah's been around for a while. Um, but you know, she took some time to do some things with work and, you know, just life in general and stuff. She, not that she like was away from the gym. She just wasn't necessarily powerlifting. Mm -hmm. So it had been like, not this, this was her second meet back from a couple year break or whatever, but she hit like a 44 pound meet PR over, uh, I think she did a meet in November or December. So, um, pretty good meet PR for, you know, competing five months ago. Um, you know, with her, it's like, she just flipped that switch back on, you know, it went from, you know, I'm going to focus on these things, these outside factors more. I'm still going to go to the gym, but I'm not going to necessarily power lift to flipping that switch back on to dialing in nutrition, getting back on, you know, legitimate powerlifting programming and just turn back back on the intensity, I guess I should say of like trying to be a little bit more serious. Mm-hmm. And she's one that she's, she's just having fun, you know, but it's like you watch her growth of like the weight she's able just to maintain good position and, um, to fight through and things like that. Like her last deadlift was very, um, well positioned for how slow it was moving, you know, and she's a mm-hmm. sumo puller. So it takes a second to like break the floor and all that stuff. But, um, I think her deadlift, I think she pulled like 330 or 340. And, you know, the whole way was like textbook sumo positioning. It just was slow, mm-hmm. you know. But, um, you know, again, with her, it's like making that change to refocus herself back on things. Yeah. That, that makes all the difference. You know, the focus aspect is big in this game. Like, we all go through it where you have times where you're like, you got other outside factors going on. Your focus isn't net, the intent in the gym is hard to bring, mm-hmm. but the more training sessions you can get with intent and focus, the better you're going to be in the end. So, I mean, that's what we talked about. What last podcast podcast before where the question came in where it's like focus is the single greatest determining factor between like, you know, average and elite. Yeah. It's like having that focus, on what is your purpose when you show up that day and what is your purpose overall yep. for the training program that you're doing. Massive change. Like I said, we all we all go through it. My last, mm-hmm. you know, squat on Sunday, like we had a a meeting before that and like it wasn't optimal with like my food timing, you know, we were traveling, like all this stuff going on. So it's like I went into that day and it wasn't like, you know, my normal squat Sunday where I can get up, eat breakfast and like relax a little bit and then come in, turn the, turn the switch on and go mm-hmm. to work. You know what I mean? I had to like refocus myself like, okay, I got to lift today. I got to get this done mm-hmm. things like that. But sometimes it's good to have those days where you're not like all hype anyway, but, um, you know, just having to refocus, it, it's a big part of it. So, you know, I think it's funny about that is like somebody listening to this, who's a gym goer, just like casually goes, would hear that and be like, why the hell do you need to spend that much time getting ready for like squats? So he's yeah. like, like you have to like take your entire morning to yeah. get ready for legs. It's like, okay, that in itself helps to define the difference in the mindset between someone who's like, yeah, I'm going to go have a leg session today. Yeah. And someone who's like, no, I have squats today. I'm putting yeah. six to 700 pounds on my back. Yeah. This is what I'm going to be experiencing. This is how I need to prep for it. Yeah. And some people like are a little different than others, but most people at, at a certain level, um, you know what your training is for the week once you look at your program mm-hmm. and you start to prepare for that. So you know like squats are tomorrow. I'm not gonna eat anything that like is gonna upset the stomach. I'm mm-hmm. not, you know, I'm gonna start preparing the food here. Like 
I need to time the meals. Like this is about the time I get to the gym, top squat, all that. So I'm timing meals along with that, um, prioritizing sleep. So like this weekend, um, coming up as my brother's bachelor party. So, um, we ended up getting a house up on Lake Erie and, um, you know, all of his buddies are going up and of course I'm the best man. So like I'm the coordinator of it all. And like, I told him flat out, I'm like, Hey man, like, when we go, I'm four weeks out and like, I will have a beer with you guys at dinner. Like, mm-hmm. but I have to go back home and I have to get up in the morning and train. And cause it's an all weekend thing. Yeah. I said, I will come back up, you know, in the afternoon uh, after I train mm-hmm. and I'll hang out with you guys for the day. But like, I cannot be, get shit faced all weekend, yeah, yeah. you know, eat like shit, you Miss know, out on sleep, have yeah. everything thrown off. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it kind of sucks in a way. Like, um, you know, some people might listen to that like, oh, you're prioritizing a hobby over like your family and you're this and that. My, the, the difference is my brother understands that because he's seen the amount of work I've put in to get where I'm at. Right. You know what I mean? It was just timing. Like it's, he, I already had this meat picked and then he, you know, kind of planned his wedding and was like, oh, okay. Well, mm-hmm. you know, it just is what it is. It's one of those things. I'm not going to miss it, but right. I'm just not able to go all out and him and his, you know, other crew of however many people are going can <laughs> do whatever, you know? Yeah. So it's not like I'm just leaving him stranded, but those are prior. It's, it's still, I have my priorities. He has his priorities. Like mm-hmm. we're two grown ass men. It's not like we're little fucking kids. Like, so it, it just, it, it is what it is. And, and he, you know, he gets that, but, um, I've seen lifters and known of lifters. That's like, they just want to care. They, they, oh, I had a wedding and they ended up fucking getting hammered at the wedding, eating like shit and they're three weeks out. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's your choice. Like you chose to do that. So if but you're training. a wedding, it's like you're not able to experience a wedding without doing those things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, and that's kind of like the, you know, especially with bachelor parties, the whole thing is you're just supposed to get hammered mm-hmm. and whatever, you know, and, just make a rock for a weekend. Yeah, it's like no, right? <laughs> that's you know, it'll be a uh, it'll be a fun time still. But it's like you know, there's and there's other people the same thing. Like you know, it's no different than those people. I think there's some going up. They have to work, so we're going on Friday, and they have to work on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So they're gonna drive back home Friday night and go to work, and then they'll come back up after work. Like, yeah. hey, this is my job. <laughs> this yeah. is my job in a way, you know. So <laughs> this is your responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. And, uh, uh, last one we get to Kara competed over the weekend and, um, it's kind of funny cause someone came up and was like, if you didn't know who Kara boss is, well, fucking now, you know, <laughs> um, she, uh, so, so backing up, you know, Kara came to the gym, uh, with horrendous form, horrendous technique. Sorry, Kara. It was terrible. <laughs> listening. Um, and she was already pretty strong, you know, she's just country girl, um, you know, did track and things like mm-hmm. she's, she's strong, but, um, she had bad technique. She had, she didn't really focus on her diet you know, again, like country kind of living. She likes beer and things like that mm-hmm. and just the lifestyle of it all. Um, and she kind of made some choices to start to, uh, make her diet better, um, start to lose weight and things. And I had told her for a a pretty long time, you know, Hey, if you drop weight, your technique is going to get better because your leverage is going to change And the, the leverage change in the the problem she was having. I was telling her it's going to get better by dropping your weight down and and losing body fat and it will change the leverages properly. Um, because without that, it's going to be hard to hit these numbers you want to hit because of how thing, your body moves mechanically, right? Mm-hmm. So she, you know, finally kind of kind of bought into that. So not only did how we start- How long ago was that? Um, I think she started that kind of on her own last fall-ish. So she, she had came down a little bit, 
from like the top weight that she had ever been, mm-hmm. you know, as far as weigh-in. So she came down, I think like 10 pounds or so, you know, so it was like, she made a little bit of a change already, Okay, but like in the fall, she really was like, okay, I want to do this, you know? Yeah. And I had told her like before, and she found that out and meets like, if things don't work right, you know, you're not going to hit these weights you want to hit. Mm-hmm. All right. So started that kind of journey and she got down, um, pretty well, I think into like the two teens. Um, and I had given her some, I wasn't doing her nutrition at the time, but I was giving her like some guidance on like, Hey, here's where your macro should be, things like that. And then, um, just before prep started, she had, and I told her like, we'll try to get to 198. We'll see what happens, you mm-hmm. know? And I, I told her this, like, we got to see what your body does, you know? And I, st- and she, I told her like, you're going to be more competitive at 198 anyway, you know? Um, so she gets down, you know, into like the two teens, I think it was when we started and I took over nutrition and then we just worked the system and, and she had to continue to drop weight. Um, and we tried to push it down pretty good earlier in the prep. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't so bad later. Yeah. And I'm not going to get into all the tricks and techniques that I used for her nutrition, but we ended up getting training weight to about. 204 205 okay and then the last two two three weeks it started to creep down even more like she woke up at like 203 202 Mm -hmm. mind you i wasn't taking any food away actually upped her food Mm -hmm. so yeah magic it's crazy right (laughs) so um voodoo yeah it's (laughs) so i said i'm not gonna get into all the (laughs) the techniques and tricks that i use because it no one would it would take me forever to explain the whole thinking and what I actually did. Cause I have it all notated out mm-hmm. anyway. Um, so her weight actually, her food goes up, weight comes down. Um, and I knew this happens with pretty much everybody is when you stop, um, when you stop training at that high intensity and you taper back for the meat, generally you're not working out as hard. You're not working out as much. So mm-hmm. water comes out water that's inside the muscles, things like that starts to come out. So I knew we were sitting pretty good. Um, and she made a really good drop and it was all, we didn't manipulate water at all. The only thing we did was cause she was close to weigh in, Mm -hmm. um, on, so weigh-ins were Saturday on Thursday. I told her to stop taking in sodium, like uh, pretty much minimize the sodium, still drink water. So she still drank as much water as she wanted. Um, Friday we cut water and food off at like 5 PM and she weighed in at 195 point something down from like, she was waking up 202 a week before 201. Okay. You know? And then she woke up at like once, once I knew during the taper week, once she hit a 198 point something morning weight, I was like, we're solid because you're not going to. Even not working out, you're not going to gain the weight back. So just those last couple of days, just using it as like a safety or like a buffer. Yeah, yeah. So we didn't really change much. Um, but anyway, back to you know the changes that she made. So technique changed. She went down. She accepted that the weights were going to be light. And I remember, you know, before pre, like kind of a pre prep, she's like, "Do you think we can get back to those numbers? Because we were where we were still working." She's like, "I don't know." She's like, "I want to pull." you know, I really want to try to pull 500. Like, do you think my squat's going to go down? She was like worrying. I'm like, just watch <laughs> it's coming. You know? Yep. Um, so anyway, so she accepted that, that she, we went down, worked on the technique and accepted those weights. She accepted the food change, the diet change, all that stuff. Not only, you know, feeling better, um, physically, you know, mentally, all that stuff, uh, more energy recovering. Great. You know, all those things, but she goes out and puts up a total that right now, I believe she, as of like today, she's number five in the world at 198 sleeves. Um, now that will change over the year as people compete and stuff like that. But if you go back to like 2019, cause 2020 didn't count <laughs> pretty much. Like if you go back to 2019 totals, she still got a good shot to be inside that top 15, top 20 as it stands right now in the world by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if she does another meet at her first meet of the year yeah yeah so if she does another meet we can push that up Mm -hmm. um and now how close was she to that last deadlift i it was the probably the closest deadlift i've ever seen like it was literally like everything was locked except like her hip just if her like her hip just the slightest amount an inch two Mm -hmm. inch and that hip locks the shoulders behind the bar the knees are everything's good Mm -hmm. it was there yeah (laughs) i mean it's it's so hard to explain i was on the side and i should i wish i would have got a video of it um how fucking close this deadlift was it was insane and that you know right there that adds another 40 eight pounds to her total mm-hmm. so we had already had an all-time pr of like 22 pounds uh, above her best total ever at 43 pounds lighter body weight so the last time that she hit 22 pounds under this total she hit she weighed 43 pounds more so that's significant oh yeah very significant to hold that strength um her her total did come down you know she had a bad meet or two so like that from i think her last total i think that was like a 70 pound jump maybe higher you know so that that was a good jump you hit that last deadlift like i said that's another 48 pounds that's we're talking like 70 close to 70 pounds over that total that she hit when she weighed 43 pounds more Mm -hmm. so this is just the start that's oh, yeah. why I'm telling everyone, like, this is this is her coming out party. Like, she's coming now. Mm-hmm. You know, and those 198s, like, she's going to be competitive. Eventually, she might drop to 181 and where she'll be even more competitive. Because what I think is so, really interesting about that, like you said, this was not a massive weight cut. Like, you got her body in general down to, like, the 200s. Yeah, this wasn't, yeah, it wasn't it's like, not a, like she did a 20-pound water cut. No, just it wasn't a it. water cut at all. Like, at all. It was mm-hmm. just literally to like this is diet diet down and keep to diet down and keep as much strength as possible Mm -hmm. you know and um you know that's a side of nutrition that we don't talk about all the time i know it's come up a little bit like you said losing the weight in her case created better mechanical advantage yeah for the lifting yeah and and sometimes when we talk we say like people need to gain weight in order to be able to be in a better weight class like for their body size yeah and here's an example well, where you were able to manipulate it to her advantage, but from losing weight. Yeah. The thing is, it's like, you know, it's to maintain or to lose weight through dieting and maintain that strength at that level is not easy either. Like, I mean, she squatted 435, she benched 242 and she, she pulled 463. That last deadlift was 501. Mm-hmm. So it's like, this isn't you know, dieting down and you're deadlifting 200 and you're benching 110. Right. You know what I mean? It's completely different ball game. So there's a lot of things that come into play. That's a strong girl. (laughs) Yeah. And like trying to make sure that she's properly fueled for those big lifts, but then also still able to keep dropping the output, you know, versus what the caloric intake. And like, there's a lot of shit that goes into it. Mm -hmm. It's not, you can't just throw numbers at the wind and hope they stick like you really have to pay attention and that was kind of the benefit of me running the nutrition and the program side because i can control everything then you know and it makes it a hell of a lot easier than when i'm just controlling nutrition um i had another athlete that did really well in the 181s over the weekend um same thing like weighed in at like 180 dieted down no water cut Mm -hmm. first i think first time that she said she never had to water cut um, still end up having like hell of a meet. I think again, she squatted in the four hundreds. Um, I forget what she benched. She benches like low two hundreds and then she pulled four eighty five. You know, so it's like it's almost like you really know what you're doing. It's uh, yeah, I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's like damn, I don't I don't know. My my athletes cut down naturally through diet. Oh, and she ate more. We actually got her to body weight mm-hmm. to weigh in weight, one eighty, one eighty one. And then I jumped her food. Hold on, I have notes. I jumped her food. She went into weigh-ins eating over 300 carbs a day. One second. Where's she at? 
So, so go ahead. Yeah, I, the last uh, month of prep here. Yeah, she jumped. We we jumped up. So she was eating 315 carbs, 200 protein, 68 fat on our training days. Non-training, 250 carbs, 200 protein, 70 fat. So you're still pushing um, a shit ton of calories. Mm-hmm. So um, that whole eating more, losing weight thing always sounds like the reverse snowflake effect with people. Mm-hmm. So you know when you give examples like, hey, if you train too often or in the wrong way, like you're going to hurt yourself. And people will hear that. And in general, they'll agree with you. But then in practice, they'll think, well, I'm the exception to the rule. Yeah, I don't have to listen to that or I can tweak it even though I know I'm going against what they said. Mm-hmm. The whole eating more to lose weight, you can explain it to people and they kind of nod their head and like, oh yeah, well that makes sense until you tell them to do it and they're like, oh, that would never work for me. Yeah. Like, you mean science doesn't work for you? Yeah. Like physiology doesn't work? <laughs> I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think a lot of people will try to just, you know, they bring an excuse for something that they're not doing. Um, you know, and, and this is the thing, like, of course, like we're, you know, we're talking about the, all these great nutrition things and, you know, all that. And they, but the, like I have clients that get stuck, you know, it's oh, yeah. like nothing else. Um, I have people that don't do everything that they're supposed to do and, you know, they wonder why it like doesn't progress. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also like, so everyone's body's different. So it's like, you know, cause some people will hire me and they'll like expect that like, I'm just going to jump their carbs and like, Oh my God, I get to eat so much food when you're coached by him. Like it's all going to matter what your body tells me. Right. So, you know, I have people that I have to bring down at first and then jump them. Mm-hmm. I have people I have to jump first then bring down. I have people I have to let's maintain what you're doing already. See what happens. And like, there's no one size fits all answer. Um, but what I don't do ever is just starve someone's food way out to where like they can't train. They can, they feel like shit. Like they, mm-hmm. my buddy, oh man, I think that, I don't think they were posts. Um, he, he, he sends me this person all the time that they'll take like these skinny people, people that are already skinny and yeah, I think there were stories that he was sending me. Oh, I wanted to show them to you. But um, these people were already, like, skinny. Mm-hmm. And then they, like, you could tell they just starved their bodies to make them. They almost like anorexic. Like, yeah. they would have, like, you know when the abs come in on someone really frail looking and skinny. And yes. it, like, all bunches kind of. It looks almost like they're, like, a um, like a dehydrated raisin. It looks like a raisin belly, Mm -hmm. like almost, you know what I mean? It's all just kind of sucked in weird. And um, like, that's what their skin looks like. You know what I mean? And it's like, because they're, they're basically like frail at that point. You know, you, you, that was the diet that this person. Yeah. And these people were already like skinnier, you know, just skinnier people in general, not a lot of muscle to them. Or like one guy, he, he was built like, like you, but probably like. 20 pounds lighter, 25 pounds lighter. The next picture, he actually lost muscle tone and looked like smaller, skinnier. Like if you had done them in reverse, you would have had a good before and after. Yeah. I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) I I had to ask my buddy. I'm like, is this a joke? Like, this is like, they're making fun of like, that's Photoshopped. He's like, no, that's their actual transformations. I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) How do you not understand that? That's not what should be happening. Yeah. Like you shouldn't look like you're, you're malnourished and right. that walking around without having some sort of disorder, mm-hmm. you know, like, and these people are just smiling and happy and they're like, what the fuck? I lost weight. Like these people, like, and that's the problem is you get coaches like that, that think that that's the answer. Like, mm-hmm. that, you know, I just won't cross certain boundaries, but Hey, what's, what's ethics? Um, but anyway, yeah, I wanted to, we can answer some questions stuff. I just wanted to highlight like those people. I thought it was really interesting that they all made some sort of, uh, significant change in their training or in their lifestyle. And, you know, it all, it all came together. I think one of the key things that you said as you were talking about them was like accepting the changes. 
Mm-hmm. It wasn't just, I'm going to hire a nutritional coach. I'm going to yeah. hire a programming coach. I'm going to come in on squat Sunday. When the changes were offered to them, like they truly accepted it and they embraced yeah. it and they said, okay, I'm going to run with this. Like if you tell me we're going to change technique and I need to drop weight for a while, okay, I'll, I'll trust you on that. If you say, this is what we're going to eat, I'll trust you on it. Cause there's a big difference between that. And like you said, the clients who you have for nutrition and they do some of it, yeah, not all of it. And then they wonder why they're not seeing the same results. It's like, well, you signed up for it, but you're not actually embracing the whole process. Yeah. Yep. That's that, that that's the difference. I mean, we mm-hmm. see we see so many of those to be honest. People that come in, I want a power lift. They don't put in any effort and they might even be here six, seven, eight months. You know, can't get their workout days right, don't eat right, mm-hmm. you know, jump off their program, see, don't listen to the coach, like here's the thing at this point and i and i hate i hate to you know be the the guy that's going to say it actually i kind of love being the guy that's going to say it <laughs> at this point in the game if you are not progressing through getting coaching here mm-hmm. and and this is in most cases not just here this is in a lot of cases yeah. in general um there are some shitty coaches so let's not say everybody but it's probably you i'm just going to say it like if you're not progressing or you come here and you don't progress and you're at a lower level, it's probably you. It's probably not the coaching. You know, it's probably if you've given it enough time. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably things that you're not doing. Um, again, you have to give it time. Kara could have been like, my total went down. I'm fuck this. I'm done I'm mm-hmm. walking away. There was a point to it all. Right. It just takes time. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the thing. If you look at our lifters over time, they all go up. Every one of them. It's mm-hmm. up, 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 up. Keeps going up. Yeah. You know, but you have to give it the time. You look at my my total, Lindsay's total. You know, anybody that's a little bit higher here. Mm-hmm. Every one of them goes upward, but there are meets that it goes down or stays the same or a bat. You know, yeah. shit happens, but they all trend upward. Mm-hmm. You know, so um. Not say, I mean, I can, there's plenty of shitty coaches, but just want to put that out there. Anyway, let's go on to Q&A. All right. Can you explain why the front squat positioning might have a better position than the back squat? And this was coming to you, so you can explain the content a little bit better. The the context was that the person was getting pushed forward. Uh, too much in their back squat, but then like the front squat, they're able to kind of maintain an upright torso position. Um, the front squat, like, I mean, it wasn't perfect technique, but it, it, you can see that like the, the torso stays up higher and things. And that's just because you're, you know, with her, she was getting good, uh, extension by it being in the frontal plane she's able to keep her elbows high like she's able to keep her chest up Mm -hmm. all those things um that means when the bar is on her back she's not doing those things she's not able to push back into the bar she's not able to get good extension um she's probably not thinking to like open her chest up and keep her sternum high okay you know things like that i would imagine are, are the biggest problem it could be like a you know, everyone's leverage is a little bit different. So it could be a foot position issue also. Sometimes like if someone is standing too um, too wide and they're getting tipped over, you just need to bring their feet in a little bit and allow like the ankles to move a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's where it takes the coach's eye just to look at the leverages, like look at the different mechanics and see like how much forward knee they're getting, things like that. Because your body's all working in different mechanical ways, you mm-hmm. know, so... Um, but usually if they're getting tipped over, it's going to be a thing of extension and some people just aren't able to maintain that core position and maintain that, that position of extension through their upper back while they're squatting down, or you'll see kind of opposite. They can maintain it squatting down. They hit in the bottom, butt shoots back and they get tipped forward. That's yeah. a, that's kind of a, a little bit different thing. Um, but it's still is along the same lines. Of okay. Generally it's, they're not getting good extension through their back. Um, if it's not a core breakdown thing. So that's the other part you could have, you know, your core stability isn't good enough to maintain that position. Yeah. So, um, 
yeah, that's that should cover that answer for that person. But all right, number two, how close to a meet can I get a massage? This is a timely one. Uh, this was actually something that got the asked day quite a bit. before deep tissue. Absolutely, as like, hard as possible, especially like <laughs> two to three hours long. Yeah. Absolutely, no, God, no. <laughs> um, I like to say five to six days, and you put a little bit uh, context with it where. You, Assuming that that person hasn't had any massage prior. So if they're saying that they're only going to do one massage with you and during the entire prep period, at most five to six days prior, because you've got a crap ton of accumulation that you're going to be working on during that time. Mm-hmm. They haven't gotten worked on at all, which means you're going to have the novelty of it is going to affect them. They have everything else that they're recovering from in general during that mm-hmm. deload. And if you go within three days, you can really mess up somebody's meat just destroy it you also don't know how they're going to react if you've never worked on before like if i had never done any kind of massage with you and you come to me five days out and we do trigger point and it just bruises and destroys you you might be ready in time five days out you might be yeah so you want to make sure that you're giving plenty of time to cover all those factors now if you have worked on it before technically you can work on somebody the day before or the day of. You just have to be incredibly selective on what you do, and it's very hard to do that if you've never worked with them before. Yeah, you got to be on same page communication. Right. So as a buffer of safety, I like to say at least five to six days. Yeah. What's your thoughts on, I know a couple of them got cryotherapy the day before the meet. What's your thoughts there? I was kind of curious on that. Like the cold chamber or like an ice bath? Uh, cold chamber. That one's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one from what I've read and seen is mostly helpful for the inflammation that's going to be like in the joints. Yeah. And you think the day before a powerlifting meet, you probably have a lot of accumulation of inflammation in the mm-hmm. joints just because from the pressure of peaking. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have from what I've seen a detriment to the soft tissue for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it's like a flash freeze yeah. that goes on. There doesn't seem to be as much time necessary to recover just from it. Mm-hmm. So I would recommend if you're going to do something like that, you would want to experiment prior. Mm-hmm. Like if you go through a heavier point in the season, that's not competition, yeah. go and get it and see how you feel for a three day window. Like how do you feel trying to lift the next day versus yeah. 48 hours versus 72? But theoretically, like that could be a good time frame. Yeah, I was curious on that. I I knew it was like you know the inflammation reduction and all that stuff. I I guess it would. You know, my thinking was is like if you had any thing lasting that yeah. maybe hasn't kind of dropped off yet, mm-hmm. could help. Um, I think so. And again, I was just I like to be very conservative mm-hmm. with those because unless you know exactly how you react to it yeah. in the situation. I wouldn't want the potential for it to mess up somebody's meat, even yeah. if there is the possible benefit of it. Mm-hmm. All right. Number three, how should I have my feet set up for bench? If I bench with flat feet, this, yeah, this, um, this one I noticed the other day, the guy was benching, like he, he's flat foot bencher, but he had his feet straight out in front of him. Um, like, pretty much at hip width. So it wasn't like straight out in front of him and they were kind of tapered out and he wasn't like overly arched or set up tight, you know, obviously either. Um, but like all he did was pretty much like when he went to try to drive with his legs, like he just kind of pushed himself back on the bench. Okay. Um, to where he actually like slid a little bit, mm-hmm. you know? So I kind of showed him like, and this is going to depend on your ankle mobility, your your limb length, things like that. But typically you want to be, um, how do I say this? As wide as possible to have a solid base and a solid foundation for stability. So you're not rocking back and forth or anything okay. and it um, creates good base and your feet turn probably somewhere about a 45 degree angle. Okay. That's going to change again, depending on your ankle mobility and your levers. I've seen some people who can turn a little bit more, and some people are a little bit more straight on. Um, and the idea is when you're driving, you know, you're pushing out away from you, away from the bench and kind of pushing the floor apart. Um, as you're able to drive back then into the bench and into your traps. 
So with that one, it's more of a drive backwards instead of a drive upwards. So, um, you know, if you're going to be a flat foot bencher, it's typically smarter. And again, it depends like, are you wearing a, a heeled shoe? Are you wearing a flat shoe? Things Mm -hmm. like that. There's a lot that comes into play, but typically having, um, a moderately, moderately wide setup off the sides of the bench at about a 45 degree angle will help with the drive a lot better. Okay. Um, for some people that wear like lifters, they're able to bring their feet back a little bit more. And, um, again, it just depends in their setup that typically works for someone who has a little bit shorter legs. So they're able to bring them back and have, you know, their ankle and their foot flat to the floor and they're tucked a little bit closer to the bench. Mm -hmm. But if you have long limbs and you try to do that, you're going to basically push your butt up off the bench. So, um, that doesn't work as optimally, you okay. know? So there you have to have, if you have very long legs and you're a flat foot bencher, typically you have to have the uh, feet further away from you, you know, because you're sprawled out more. So just a follow-up question on it. Cause I was thinking as you're going through, when you work with someone on finding those, like you're listing them, you're obviously aware of all those possibilities when you work with a new lifter, mm-hmm. how long does it seem to take to find like an optimal position it could take, um, it could take a couple of weeks. Could take a couple. It could take a couple months. I mean, okay. I usually like to have a lifter attempt both ways, flat foot and feet tucked. Okay. Um, for most people, I start them with feet tucked, and then if that's uncomfortable or we can't get solid position, then I might have them try the feet flat. Okay. Um, I know for me, I've tried feet flat. And, um, I just never can get as tight as I do when my feet are tucked back and Mm my, um, my ability to get a little bit more arch improves with my feet tucked. So, um, for me that having longer arms, I want to have as much arch as possible, especially if I'm able to do it, I'd like my, my sternum to be as high as I can get it. So, cause I know we've talked in the past where we've said, you know, somebody thinking that they're tight in the arch, mm-hmm. they actually aren't like, it takes a while before yeah. they actually feel how tight they should be. Mm-hmm. And I was just curious where if you had somebody, they put their feet flat versus feet tucked and they're like, Oh, I feel just as tight both ways. But as a coach, you're watching that going like, you're clearly not as tight when your feet are flat, Yeah, but they don't have that feedback yet. I was yeah. wondering how long that might take. Um, you can usually like, if it's an in-person like if I see them in person, we we can usually see that pretty quick and mm-hmm. get it fixed within a couple sessions. Um, for the online clients, for online clients, it it might take a couple weeks. Okay, to get them to fully understand it, um, it just depends again on how easily they adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, I had I had one client actually. I just told them about that this week, so we'll see. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see how quick she changes it. All right, last question. As a long jumper and sprinter, how can I work on shin pain during track season? Um, I don't want to say like shin splints mm-hmm. with this because that's a very catch-all term where it can mean multiple different things. Yeah. But the thing that I have found works really well aside from just doing like general massage on the area um, is any kind of dynamic cupping. However, you have to be really careful because that tibialis anterior, the muscle, like part mm-hmm. of the shin, it's incredibly sensitive. Like I know yeah. we cupped you the one time. Yeah. It was like a minute. Yeah. That's it. And you're like, it wrecked you for a couple of days. Yeah. So again, kind of what like I was talking about before, there's the novelty effect where if you've never done it before and you do that, it's going to be really, really sensitive. Mm-hmm. And if you do that at the wrong time in the season, well, let's say you do that a couple of days out from like districts. Yeah. Like you could completely screw up your meat. Um, so you want to do something gentle like just doing like some soft tissue work on it gentle massage not scraping Mm. uh rolling isn't necessarily a bad thing but it's another one where it's such a sensitive area and such a small muscle by comparison that sometimes you can't roll in a way that's effective so just getting in there with your hands doing some basic massage and see how you react to it yeah where if it's really tender the next day like you need to build up before you want to do any cupping you want a time when you would do something like that when you have like a, at least a day or two off, preferably even after having a couple of easy days, 
Now, I don't know what that looks like with the track season when they have meets, practices, et cetera. Yeah, that's going to be hard. Yeah. They might, you know, it depends what level you're at, I guess. I mm-hmm. mean, I would maybe, if it's not an important meet, you know. Just like rehab through it, basically. Yeah, just yeah. maybe you skip that one. Mm-hmm. Maybe you sit that one out. See if then you can come back for the next week. Because especially when you're at a higher level in track, like what really matters is the end of the season anyway. Like get the qualifying time. Yeah. And then after that, you just, you know, you you get your qualifying time. And or if you're not there yet and it's early in the season, take a break. Like if you know you can hit that that time, Mm -hmm. wait, you know, so or that, you know, that height or whatever. Most times, and not to say that this is the case because you know i don't know this athlete it's coming into doing too much too soon and you know the muscles in that area in particular like t- the tibial anterior, it's not strong enough mm-hmm. to handle it yeah. um, and what you're feeling are the results of having like muscular weakness to that area yeah especially with jumping yeah um especially with like high school track because they come from having maybe a, a month or two of not doing anything mm-hmm unless they're a winter sport and they transition over to being like, Hey, let's go run and jump right away. So yeah. Some things that people don't think about either is like you take that, um, you said the person was a long jumper, mm-hmm. right? Long jumper sprinter. So they're, they're probably been, you know, for the winter at least, um, unless they're going to an indoor spot, like you're probably walking around a lot, like on stiff ground, you're, mm-hmm. um, practicing on hard surfaces, you're jumping, doing plyometrics on hard surfaces. Like people don't, think that like you need to get on that soft sand somehow you know so like something surfaces make a huge difference something simple is like build a very very tiny little square in your backyard or like wherever you can get a little swimming pool i don't you know Mm -hmm. whatever fill it with a little bit of sand and just simply jump into it with Mm -hmm. impact you know do a depth jump into it stuff like that how to to, impact on that how to impact on the sand um, little things like that can go a long way, but a lot of coaches and people don't think outside the box like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but just simply like, you know, even like I, track sprinters and things like that, like you haven't been in your, your track, uh, cleats at all. You know, mm-hmm. you haven't been running on that type of surface, most likely, unless you were doing winter runs, like, it's just different. Right. You know, so, um, I mean, think about the advice. If you were to change a pair of shoes as a runner, mm. they tell you, don't put a lot of miles on them right away. You have to build up, basically treat it as if you're deconditioned and yeah. you need to build up your tolerance yeah. to it because it's going to change. Yeah. Especially with track cleats, like they're incredibly minimalistic. Yeah. Most of them. Yeah. And if you go from a regular running sneaker to that, yeah. and you only use them suddenly for, competition where you're sprinting all out or like running and jumping all out the body isn't conditioned to that part like you said you need to think outside the box because this goes on the responsibility of the athlete mm. like before the season starts what are you going to do to prep yourself to be yeah. ready because with most track sport or programs like you hit the ground running yeah they don't have time no. to do a lot of build-up work yeah it's a couple couple week transition to the first meet generally yeah. so so this is where you need to be aware of that schedule. Start doing things, I mean, ideally months ahead Yeah. going into it, at the very least, you know, four to six weeks mm-hmm. prior to it to kind of get the body ready. Because if you're having pain, was it, it's May now, you really don't have that much time left in the track season. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get those muscles strong enough yeah. to not have pain. So it's really just a matter of managing it right now. Yeah. But that would be the, the soft tissue advice that I'd go with. Like you can certainly do kinesio tape on it afterward, but that's going to help out with inflammation. It's not going to fix it. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that pretty much covers everything today. Um, you know, as we said in this, change your environment, change your lifestyle and see where it can take you. So any announcements? Um, no, not really. We do have, uh, Dan has, you know, spots open for his USAL course. That is the, um, the, on the USAL website. So if you go to, uh, USAW or just type in like USA weightlifting and look for their seminars for level ones, it is listed on there. So, um, get signed up for that. Um, yeah, meets are still rolling along, uh, 
think Kentucky opened by now. I have to, I have to still check it. It's getting down there to about 10 spots left. So not too many more for that one. That one's, uh, in August down in, um, Lexington, Kentucky. So, um, get signed up for that one. Then we have another one in October in Kentucky that has, uh, some fair amount of spots left. Probably, probably getting about close to half full there. And then of course the fall brawl sold out. We're on a wait list for that one. So, um, yeah, I can't think of uh, much else coming up. A couple more of us compete in June, and you know I compete in June, and then fun times. <laughs> fun time in the gym when everyone's competing. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Unless you got anything else, no, that's all. All right, I'll see you later. Have a good one.